Well, I want to extend Christian greetings to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and our soon returning King. We oftentimes say that. I'm afraid sometimes at least I take that for granted. We say that the Lord is returning soon, but do I live my life in that light? It's pretty easy, at least when we were at Bible school, sort of the, we talk about the greenhouse effect that we have there. Um, not that it's so warm in Bible school. Most of the people claim it's cold. I think it's just right because I like the temperature there, but the spiritual greenhouse where we grow. But, you know, there's no reason why we can't live in that greenhouse effect all the time because we have brotherhoods that we're a part of. We have all the resources that are available to us, but then when we're, it seems like when we're in our normal lives, um, we don't look at it quite that way. We're not quite as intense or intent about it. Appreciated what was shared here this morning, and and I was aware of what the Sunday school lesson was before this year, but not when I decided on what I wanted to speak on. And it does mesh with the the Sunday school lesson, I think, well. And for us that speak, a lot of times it is good to have a confirmation that uh, you're supposed to speak about what God laid on your heart. This morning, I'd like to look at just starting off a, a verse. You know, I've turned to this verse, but in in James chapter 1, verse 27, there's a verse that we've heard very often. It says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And what I look like to look at this morning is, is that last part there, is to keep himself unspotted from the world. And I'm not going to go too far in that, but, but I'd like to just bring that in here. What, what does that mean, to keep himself unspotted from the world? What does it mean to be unspotted from the world? Um... You know, we often talk about separation from the world. And we know what separation is. Usually it's it's not a problem for us to define separation. Because if we if we have something, if you want to use a water hose and you find that the fitting at the end has separated itself from the hose, there's no question what has happened. There's been a separation. There's times where we're tired when we go down the road and so you hear a thump, 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 you get outside and your tread has separated in the tire. It's, there's a bulge or there's a separation and it can be easily seen. So separation is something that, that we don't really struggle to define, but sometimes we struggle to define the word world. And I'm not here to define it this morning or give a, a final definition for it. But I think sometimes we, we, we like to define the word world in our own way so that we can make it handy for us to be separate from the things that we want to be separate from and and not separate from things that we rather like. And so we tend to sort of veer off on our definition of world. What is world? I would I would I didn't, this is not coming from a whole bunch of, of research on, on this subject, but I would ask, could not world be anything that is not of the Spirit of God? Could that be a definition of world? And, and then we look at to not be spotted from the world. So we look at contamination. And, and there's different levels that we would have of contamination, right? There's different things that we find acceptable. I think we would probably be shocked if we would know what's in some of the food that we eat. 
But we don't know it. And we don't see it. Now, if, if this glass of water here, I don't know what happened to it before it came up here. But if you came up here and you put some, you've got out a bottle and you put a drop in here and the bottle said poison or had a skull and crossbones on it, I would go and just look at it. I wouldn't drink it. And neither would you. I hope not. There's certain types of things that are in our water that are in there at acceptable levels that are not considered contamination. And once they rise above certain levels, it's considered contamination. But in our spiritual lives, we know that the model that we're going after is perfection. And so spotted means any little part of contamination in our lives of the world is being spotted by the world. God does not tolerate contamination in our lives. There's a dividing line. We have to be pure before God. So being even slightly contaminated spiritually is a problem between us and God. So this morning for an illustration, I like nature and I like to to talk about nature. We like to go to the ant. Proverbs says, go to the ant, thou sluggard. I know, I don't hope I'm not a sluggard, but I like to go to the ant and look at the ant a little bit. And this is not normally what we go to the ant for. We know that the ant is an amazing creature and it, it stores up its food. It does stuff like there's ant species that have aphids. Aphids are little critters that live on plants and suck nectar out of plants. And they actually farm them. They keep them. And they stroke them and they produce a little bit of nectar and then they eat that. That's, that's amazing. But this, the ant I have to talk about this morning, for an example, is an ant that lives in the tropical rainforest. Or at least in the tropical forest. And it's a carpenter ant. And I think we all know what carpenter ants are. I think, I don't know if you have them in Minnesota. We have them in Ohio, certain species. I think there's over a thousand species of carpenter ants around the world. Carpenter ants like to eat wood. And they eat oftentimes decaying wood. And they build their structures out of this wood and saliva. And the, the ants of the tropical forests mainly live in the canopies of the trees. But occasionally these ants have to come down. So they, they go from tree to tree on branches. But sometimes trees don't connect. So they have to come down the trunk. Some of these trees are hundreds of feet tall. And they have to cross the ground, usually for less than 10 feet. And then they go up another tree. While they're on the ground, they're in danger of contracting a fungus. And that fungus, I believe, is called Orphocora diaseptus unilateris. I don't know if you've ever heard of that or not. It's also known more commonly as a zombie ant fungus. I'd never heard of this till a while back, and I, I was like, whoa, unique things fascinate me. Like, how does this work? What does it happen? Why does it do this here? So when this little ant is scurrying across the ground, it can pick up a fungus, and it attaches itself to the outside of the ant. And I believe the, the shell of an ant, I believe, is called a cuticle. It's, it's a hard shell. That's not really penetrable by a lot of things. That's why ants are, are hard on the outside. And so this fungus attaches itself to the ant. And through a reaction of enzymes and chemicals and even pressure, it forces its way through the shell of the ant where it penetrates inside the ant itself into what makes the ant tick. And after this gets into its body, it attacks its brain and its nervous system. 
and it makes the ant do very un-ant-like things. So normally the ant is pretty sure-footed, and they, they, they can keep their grip on, on the canopy that they're in. But it causes them to have irregular convulsions, and they fall out of the tree onto the ground. And then when they're on the ground, it, it continues to take over their nervous system, and it makes them do things. So it's, it was amazing to me to find out that this takes over their system enough that it causes the ant to seek out a plant and crawl up the plant between about nine and a half and ten and a quarter inches on the north side of the plant. They seek out an environment between 94 and 95 percent of humidity and between 68 and 86 degrees Fahrenheit. And then they crawl out onto a leaf on the bottom side, and they take their jaws and they attach themselves to the main vein going out in that leaf with super ant strength, like they really lock onto it. And there they die. The fungus takes over until they die. So now, having attached themselves like this, this fungus continues to grow. It comes out of parts of their body, helps attach it to the leaf. And at the very end it sends a small mushroom-like shoot out of the head of the ant, right behind the head, or sometimes even back from the body, sometimes there's two. And on that, there are spores that are dropped to the ground so this fungus can reproduce. And in major infestations, there may be 20 to 30 ants per square meter hanging upside down from leaves about 10 inches off the ground. An amazing thing. We as Christians are called to live above the things in the world, but we come in contact with the world. You know, we can't live in trees all the time. God didn't make us that way. Obviously, we can't live in churches all the time either. We can't live all the time not exposed to things that happen to us in the world. We will be exposed to the fungus of sin in the world. And I guess what I want to look at this morning is what happens when that happens, when we're exposed to sin. And I ask the question, I want to pose the question to you this morning, the title of my message is, who is in control? Or you can say, what is in control of your life? As you go through life, does it matter who is in control? Well, if you don't care where you're going, it doesn't really matter who's in control, if you don't care what happens. But most of the time, like, so when we get on an airplane, we're concerned about who's in control. We would rather like to see someone that's competent and has the capability of, of getting the airplane in the air and then also land to get where it's supposed to be landed. When we're driving, we like to have people that are in control that know what they're doing. When we go to a doctor, we go to a surgeon, we want to have someone that knows what they are doing. So it matters who is in control. So what are just a couple of things that can control us? One thing I think that can control us, especially, well, just talk to the young people, peer pressure, right? Is peer pressure controlling? Yeah. Did you know that when you're adults, you're not bothered by that? Hmm. Maybe the adults here, but you know, in Holmes County, the adults are probably not quite as bothered by it, or they maybe. They do better at covering it up. But that was one of my, my greatest surprises of adulthood is how childish adults are. 
We adults are very affected by peer pressure. And sometimes it controls us. Sometimes it takes over. Sometimes it forms us. Sometimes it puts pressure on us. And we subconsciously take account of what or how or why we should do something. We don't necessarily go out and take a poll. We don't go ask our friends and say, well, do you think I should do this? Do you think I should do this? Okay, we'll get 55% over here, 45 over No, we don't necessarily do that. But we sometimes weigh that. And we look at what we think we should do. We, you take peer pressure a lot of times from social norms. What is the social, what is the, what are the people that are around me doing? And we're controlled by that. Peer pressure can work two ways. I'm talking about the way where it takes us away from God. Peer pressure in a brotherhood is good. It can cause us to do and to stay in the way. When we encourage each other, when we hold each other up. Something else that can control us is the flesh, pride. We can be controlled by pride. Now we don't we don't like to admit that, right? Because we have pride. And so when we're controlled by pride, we, we don't really like to live it to look at it that way. But I think we're living in an era in an era that we probably see more Control of pride, that's probably not a right statement to say there's more control of pride now than there ever was, because I think ever since there was, ever since the fall of man, there has been self. And so pride and self has been the main issue, but I guess it's just more evident, I think, now. And it's probably more obvious how people are controlled by pride and about the attitude that they have. I think we, we live in the era of look at meism. Yeah, I know. I did go to school. I know that's not a word, but we live in an area where ever, everybody wants people to look at them. They want attention. They want to, to have the attention drawn to them. We, we see on, on social media, they're influencers. And, and up until a while ago, I heard the term, but I really didn't know what it was. And from what little I know, some of the people are... Even in what we would call the world, they're, they're freakish people. And they're influencers. And they're basically saying, look at me. Social media thrives on likes. On how many people look at that. How many people give you attention to something that you posted or put on. There's a lot of people that that elevate self-esteem and we could get in the holes that's not what I want to talk about this morning we do the whole social media thing and, and see how that changes people's moods and attitudes when they see how much that people liked what they did it's basically feeding self it's feeding pride what about new shiny toys you know, we often say that the difference between men and the boys is the price of their toys. Why do we have those toys? Is it because I want to be noticed? I don't want to be seen? Is it, is it functional? Is it necessary? Is it prudent? Is it wise? Or do I want this thing so that I get noticed more? Oh, wow, look at that. What is the reason that I want it? What about fashions? 
What about following after fashions? So, oh, well, we don't have a problem with that. We're conservative Anabaptist Mennonites, and we don't get the, you know, the, there's not a Mennonite fashion magazine that goes out, and we don't look at, I don't know what the name of the, the fashion magazines are that are out there, but we don't look at those, so we're not bothered at. What about trend setting inside of the Anabaptist and Mennonite circles and churches? Isn't that the same attitude? A pride? Of look at meism? Just to be different? Just to be noticed? Does that control me? Do I want to stand out so that people honor me? Do I want to do even good things in a wrong way so that people look at me and praise me or possibly notice me and I'm doing it for the wrong attitude and the wrong motive, then pride is in control. That's something that can control us. The fungus of pride. You know, we can say that the flesh can also control us. The lust of the eye. We know that Samson said to his parents, get me that woman. And we know that that it says in the Bible that his parents didn't know that it was from God. I don't understand that whole situation. It was not what they were commanded to do. Um, but he wanted that woman. What about Achan? He wanted something too. He saw. He coveted. He wanted it. And then he took it. He was trying to satisfy flesh. When we, when we have pride and when we want to satisfy the flesh, we have total fixation on what I want to do. And it takes over. It's insidious. It starts small, but then it takes over. And it ends up controlling us. Just like that fungus controls the ant. When that fungus first came in contact with that ant, and that ant would have knew the fungus was back there, maybe could have reached back and went, and off it went. Went up the tree and lived happily ever after, right? But sin, if we let it take hold, if we let it take root and do not deal with it, it will definitely take over, and it will take us to an end that we don't want to have. What if I told you that I had a GPS device that could take you and direct you wherever you wanted to go? You said, well, I have one of those. But it would detour all the traffic jams. It would not be taken by surprise. You said, well, Google does a pretty good job of that. They give you alternate routes. They show you red where the traffic is backed up, and... and I'm still not quite sold. It will it will take you past any place where there's an accident. It will detour all the deer that run across the road. Although I did see a polite deer down here in town. One was standing there until all the traffic passed, then it crossed the road in Ohio. They wait till traffic comes and jumps in front of them. What if I told you it could avoid all those accidents? It could give you the perfect path. It would be absolutely it would avoid all accidents. If you had this GPS, you would not make an error in your turns and your driving, you would not have a wheel fall off your vehicle that would alert you to everything. You would say, well, sign me up. Because I would like to be a salesperson for this. We can sell a ton of these. But, you know, spiritually, we have that available to us, and it's the Holy Spirit. If we truly follow the Holy Spirit, we will not have an accident in our life. The problem is, is we get away from Holy Spirit control and we let these other, just even the couple things I mentioned or other things in our life, control us. 
And then we have problems. And we say, why am I struggling? Why do I have this problem? Is the Holy Spirit really in control in our lives? Turn to Romans chapter 8. I'd like to read the first nine verses from Romans chapter 8. The idea of the Holy Spirit being in control is brought out very well in Ephesians 5.18. It says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. If we are drunk with wine, if we are drunk with alcohol, if we are controlled by another substance, it takes over our bodies. We do think, you've probably seen people that do things that don't, they don't normally do. They act in ways that they normally don't do. It is because they're being controlled by an outside agent. But it says that we should be filled with the Spirit. The idea of being filled is that there is no room for anything else. When the Spirit is truly controlling our lives, there is not room for pride. There is not room for the flesh. There is not room for peer pressure from the outside that is wrong. There is not room for the world. But we are full of the Spirit. Nothing else can get in. And the Spirit can only be controlled if we let Him. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemns sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now that is some plain speaking in those verses. And in, in like a... Like the plan of salvation like the Bible is, there are some deep parts to it, but there, it is very basic and very easy to understand. It says there's no condemnation to them that walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There's a difference in control. And it says they that are after the flesh to mind the things of the flesh. In other words, what is controlling us causes us to go after the things that we then want to go after because we're controlled by that. And then in verse 9 it says... If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, which is the Holy Ghost, he is none of his. Clean cut, none of his. There's no question. We need to have the Holy Spirit. So how do we cultivate spirit control? We're going to look at a little bit later what the Spirit does for us. How do we cultivate spirit control? I think the one thing that we need to do is tune out the clutter and the noise and everything that is going on around us in order to have the Spirit in us and to hear what the Spirit is saying. Sometimes that's hard for me to do. I'm sort of a... I find it hard to focus at times. My attention span isn't very long. And so I surround myself with things to do and clutter and noise sometimes. But we have to stop. We have to focus on God. And we have to let the Holy Spirit speak to us. There's times where we just have to stop. How much time am I spending in prayer time? How much time am I spending in the world? How much time am I spending in my personal devotions and cultivating that spirit control in my life? The spirit isn't going to make us 
do something. The Holy Spirit will never force us against our will to do something. Yes, if we are Christians, it will tell us, but it will not force us. Your GPS or your dash doesn't reach over, grab hold of your steering wheel, and turn one direction. Although we did rent a car here a while ago that had road following, and that was more modern than I was used to, and that was a little strange when the steering wheel started turning on its own. And it wasn't perfect either. I was a little nervous about letting it even do things. We are told, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What was Jesus focused on? He was focused on heavenly things while he was here on this earth. Acts chapter 2. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they had heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Receiving the Holy Spirit, there is nothing magical that we have to do through it. Pardon me. After we become children of God, it is part of becoming a child of God that we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's very plainly said there. Spirit control can be evident through the fruit of the Spirit. Evidence of a spirit-controlled life will be very plain to see. The same as the lack of spirit control, Holy Spirit control, is also evident. There's a large contrast if we are controlled by the Holy Spirit versus if we are controlled by the spirit of the world. There's a big difference. There's a wide gulf. It becomes very evident. Can, can we hide that? Absolutely. Sometimes we can do very well at hiding things. We can, to a certain extent, hide that to the rest of people. You might fool almost all the people all the time, but you know what? God has no question. That's where we really run into issues. You talk about secret sin. There is no such thing as secret sin. God knows. Secret from people, but not from God. So it's part of the new birth receiving the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 3, verse 30 where this is talking about John the Baptist saying about Jesus, he's saying, he must increase, but I must decrease. I think that is one of the secrets of spirit control in our life, is that the I inside of me, inside of Laverne, has to decrease. Has to go down. Because I like me. I even think I have some good ideas. Quite a few of them, yeah. I have good opinions. I have good ways of applying those opinions. But I have to realize that that's a problem. Because left to my own devices, I can't please God. So the same as John the Baptist said, he must decrease. We have to decrease. As we become Christians, as part of the sanctification process, as part of growing in Christ. When we first become Christians, we may struggle in certain areas. But we can gain victory over that by letting the Holy Spirit have control in our lives. <clears throat> The secret to successful Christian life is increasing Jesus and decreasing self. 
The Spirit will never lead us in a direction that is contrary to Scripture. I think we all know people that have said, Oh, well, God told me to do this. Well, God told us to do this. We go to the Bible. We look through the Bible. We say, It's not in here. Well, you know what? That wasn't the Holy Spirit. It was a spirit, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit that is telling them to do that. The Holy Spirit never goes against God's Word because it is inspired by God and the Holy Spirit. And we can get in the Trinity. They, they will not contradict themselves. So let's see several things that the Holy Spirit will do. In John chapter 16, verse 7 and 8, it says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict the sinful. Oh, well, that's good, because sinners definitely conviction of the Holy Spirit. I am all for that. What if I do something wrong and I commit a sin? What does that make me? It makes me a sinner. And so the Holy Spirit is there to convict me too, even as a child of God. The Holy Spirit will convict us. He will provide conviction and He will give opportunity to repent. And the verse was already used this morning in Sunday school word in Thessalonians where it says, quench not the Spirit. And what does it mean by quench? What does the word quench mean? Quench is the idea of like when we put out a fire. You probably all had a fire that is going and you take a bucket of water and there's a lot of hissing and steam and everything just sort of dies down. Maybe not go totally out. But there's a big difference that a bucket of water can make on a very hot fire. And there's a big difference that we can make to the Spirit when the Spirit tells us something and I say, no, I'm not going to do it. Oh, no, we don't. No, sorry, I forgot. We're conservative Baptist people. We just say, no, um, I don't want to do it that way. Um, we don't stomp our foot and throw a tantrum. We do it nicely. The end result is the exact same thing. We are going against the will of God and we are quenching the Spirit. We need to be very careful because when we quench the Spirit, we stop the action or we impinge upon or we halt or some way we deform the work of the Spirit. And if we continually do that, if you have even a large fire and you keep on putting on five-gallon buckets worth of water, eventually that fire will die. And it's the same way with the Spirit. Our conscience. God will not make us do anything that we don't want to do. And at some point, our conscience will die down. Oh yeah, we might know it's not right, but we don't, we're not bothered by it anymore. In fact, in Romans, it talks about giving over to a reprobate mind. And I think we live in a time and an era where there are many people in the world that have been given over to reprobate minds because they think to do evil continually. I'm just amazed. They don't just want the ability to do evil. Now they want approval for it. Two, the Holy Spirit will teach and direct us. John 14, 26, with the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, and he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So the Holy Spirit will teach us things. He will direct us. The Holy Spirit is what makes the Bible come alive. 
When we read the Bible, isn't it amazing how many times that I was raised in a conservative Mennonite church, and so I went to I went to a Christian day school, and then I was homeschooled, and I've sat through Sunday schools, revival meetings, messages, Wednesday evenings, summer meetings, teaching meetings. We have the meetings thing cornered, don't we, as conservative? But we 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 gotta have it going on. But then we sit down and we read the Bible, and we read that passage that we've been taught since Sunday school, and a new thing jumps out at us. How we can apply it to our life? We go. Why didn't I ever see that before? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit making the Bible, the living Word, alive in our bodies. That's sometimes when we get up here, and and it's happened to me when I've been preaching afterwards, you talk to people, they say, I just so appreciated the thought, or that came to me, and they say, whatever. And I'm like, don't remember ever saying that or going there. That's the Holy Spirit. The beauty of having the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16 This I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walking in the Spirit is the only way that we can have victory over the flesh. We can buy all the self-help books that you want. You're going to stack this high and read them all every week. And you might live a life where you are you are overcoming in most areas, but you won't have victory. The only way that we can have victory is to be under the direction of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Number three, the Holy Spirit gives us power. In Acts 1, verse 8, it says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the othermost part of the earth. I don't know you very well here in Minnesota. From what I've observed, you're fairly normal people. And I mean that in a good sense. So when we say normal, sometimes I, I, I've been told I'm not normal, so I, I take that as a compliment. Because if we look at the world and we take that as a gauge of normality, we shouldn't be normal like them. When I say normal, I mean like normal Christians, normal conservative Anabaptists. And I, I sometimes, speaking for myself, I get frustrated at how timid I am sometimes in sharing the gospel with other people. Or maybe I'm in a certain situation where, where something comes up and I, and I should share with a brother. And, and, and I just, and later on I'm like, there was opportunity. And there are times that I do. But could it be that we become wimpy Christians because we don't have truly the power of the Holy Spirit working inside of us? That sometimes Laverne is just a little too reliant on self and on my knowledge and on what I think it might look like or sound like or be like or how it would reflect on me. And so I shrink away or I shy away in a certain situation where if you look at the apostles, you look at Peter, it said people took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They, they were They were... They were different. They stuck out. 
Why did they stick out? Because they, they dressed in radical clothing? Because they, they drove a, a car with shiny rims on it or this or that? No. Because they responded differently in certain situations. And they weren't normal. The Holy Spirit gives us power. I think we have a lot of powerless Christians today because we are limiting by choice the power of the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit's power is not diminished. The same Holy Spirit that worked through Bible times and we read all of these accounts and all of these things in the Bible that we have. And then sometimes I'm like, you know, wouldn't it have been nice to just live back in those days and see all those things and and that way I could just be convinced more of the power of the Holy Spirit. But then on the second, on the other thought, I say that this is the Word of God. And we have all this, plus we have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. Are we not more accountable than those people that saw everything back there? I think we are. If we don't resist temptations that come our way, I think it is oftentimes because we do not allow the power of the Holy Spirit to take over, but we rely on ourselves. The I can. You know, we are told, we, we hear this all over the place, and, I, and I, I'm, it frustrates me to no end. And, and especially young children. I don't think it's doing any service to, to youth and young children. Have you ever heard people say that you can be whatever you want to be? You see that bandied about? I've, I've read it. I've seen it. Why well, news for you? You can't. It's not possible. You can set out to be president of the United States. That's only happens to several people. Just because you want to be something doesn't mean that you can. And just because I want to do it with all my heart, with all my mind, and I set everything and I strain and I want to be this, doesn't mean you can. People say, well, that's a cruel thing to say to people and just dash their dreams and hopes in life. No, it's reality. I think the opposite is true. If you tell people that they can be anything they want to be, and then when reality comes by and, and, and they can't, it's like, what's going on? And they're confused. I don't think we do people a service by telling them that they can be whatever they want to be. We will not be... Christians and acceptable to God without the control of the Holy Spirit. No matter how hard we try. No matter how hard we focus. No matter if we make that the goal in our life without the control of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it is impossible. The power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit is limitless. It can keep us. The keeping power of God... Now unto you that is able to keep you from falling. The key word in there is able. But only if I let him. He's able to. And last of all, point number four, the Holy Spirit will intercede for us. Romans 8, 26. Do we look at this as a blessing that the Holy Spirit will intercede for us? Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. 
And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. As a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a savior of Jesus Christ living in your heart, you are called according to his purpose. And it says that the Spirit, it says, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. As humans, sometimes when we pray, we think we know what we should pray for. But the Spirit knows us better than I know myself. That can, that can, that can be, if you are an unbeliever, that should be frightening. If you're a believer, that should be very comforting. That the Holy Spirit and God knows you better than you know yourself. And so you have the Holy Spirit interceding, making intercession for you. Jesus is making intercession at the right hand of God. The Holy Spirit knows more what I need than what I do. And that is a hurdle that we have to overcome. It sounds so simple. We have, we have no question committing ourselves to the knowledge of doctors. When we go into a doctor, if I would go see a surgeon for something, and he would say, well, I want to do a procedure, and we're going to do it like this here, and we're going to do this here, and I would say, wait a minute. Um, I think this medicine over here, you should probably give me one cc less, and when you make this incision, I prefer that you do it in this. He looked at me and so, said, where do you go? Well, I, I read a book. It's ridiculous. But why do I go against sometimes the voice of the Holy Spirit in my life? And I find it so easy to go against the Holy... I shouldn't say so easy, but I, I, I find that I do at times go against what I know is right, what the Bible says is right. And I might have an attitude. It might be something that we say is a small thing. A little fungus of sin that starts to grow. So remember... Something or someone is in control of your life. What is in control of your life? Who is in control of your life? Who is in control of your life has an eternal effect on your life. You will spend eternity somewhere. You will either spend it in heaven or you will spend it in hell. Remember the ant. We cannot get rid of the fungus of sin ourselves. We need the protection of the Holy Spirit and the direction of the Spirit and live under the Spirit's control in order to live righteously and to keep sin from taking over our lives. And yes, it doesn't send out mushrooms out of our bodies, but it takes over. It does much worse things. It leads ultimately to eternal death. So let's live under the Spirit's control.